enough boot talk, Matt. We, we've just spent the past... <laughs> enough as, enough as boot we, talk. As we are wont to do on this show, we've been talking about clothes uh, before we started recording. Or even, we might have been recording and you've just started listening. <laughs> You're very welcome to Beneath the Skin, the show about the history of everything told through the history of tattooing. Um, this is a free episode, so if you're hearing this on the free feed, hello. Um, and you remembered yeah. to um, you remember to introduce the show, Tom. Yes, I did. And it's funny because yesterday we were because uh, we have a load of really really cool episodes coming up in the next couple of weeks. But yesterday we were texting and we're like, oh, what are we going to do tomorrow? Because we had something planned which Matt forgot to organize. And uh, we were like, no, I didn't forget to organize it. I, I couldn't have organized it because the person that we're going to interview would, is going to be on a plane. That's why. Had you, had tra- you, had you contacted them before I texted you no, yesterday? No, but I'd remember, I'd remember <laughs> not to contact them because I knew that they were traveling. And so mm, I knew it wasn't okay. going to be available. So uh, <laughs> I, I was having a nice singular pint in the pub after I finished work and I, we were talking about like, what are we going to do? Because we have loads of stuff coming up in the next couple of weeks that we have planned out and we have booked in. And then Matt said, oh, out of nowhere, I said, I have a really good idea. It'll be a surprise for tomorrow. So Matt, hit me. What's the surprise? Well, the, 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 you also said, let's do something uh, early 2000s for the, for the, for the Gen Zers. Mm-hmm. For the, for the, for the 2000s kids. Something for the Y2K. Something for the Y2K. So this is like literally the most 2000s thing uh, possible, uh, I think, when it comes to tattooing. Um, and I, I, I'll, um, well, I'll ask you the question first so we can get, get the topic opened, and then I will tell you how I came to think of it as a topic. So um, how much, Tom? Because uh, we were also talking about money and how we didn't have any uh, mm-hmm. to buy all the boots that we wanted to buy. <laughs> how, much, how much money would I have to pay you um, for you to get, uh, like my Instagram handle tattooed on your forehead. <laughs> um, I don't think <laughs> since you no longer no longer have a no limit credit card, I don't think you have enough money, Matt. <laughs> how, how much? How much are we talking here? How much are we talking here? Like, you know, we're, we're no longer we're no longer talking about what kind of guy you are. We're just haggling over the price now, Tom. So, um, you know, I, <laughs> as I, they say. I would say maybe about five mil. Five mil? Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, well, how about if I told you that um, back in the early 2000s, a woman um, sold the rights to tattoo the URL of an online casino uh, for $10,000. This is a story that I am somewhat familiar to, about, familiar with. Good. Well, we're going to talk about advertising tattoos today, Thomas. Yeah. Um, because it's very 2000s-y. Um, like, so, yeah, Tom, uh, this is like the most 2000s thing ever, selling your body for um, for advertising tattoos. And I, yeah. the, the reason I, I was thinking about it is because um, I've recently started going rock climbing again. Mm-hmm. I used to go rock climbing uh, like 10 years ago. Got out of the habit, had a big existential middle age crisis of how I was going to die, you know, frail um, and weak. And so I thought I'll just go back into climbing. And as part of that, I started watching some some videos on YouTube of climbing, like watching the um, International Sport Climbing Federation, like World Cup bouldering stuff. And Layla came in while I was watching that and was like, has that woman got a Red Bull tattoo? And of course, like she didn't have a Red Bull tattoo. It's just that she had a temporary tattoo of the Red Bull logo, mm-hmm. um, which came, which basically happened pretty much at the same time as you were saying, think of something 2000s-y to think <laughs> about. So that's where it came from. Um, I don't know, like maybe we can start with like, with this present stuff and work back to the early 2000s stuff and, mm-hmm. and where this whole, th- this whole thing comes from. Um, what do you, yeah, what do you think about athletes? having brands not necessarily even permanently tattooed on them but like temporarily tattooed on them i mean it's kind of just like a natural extension of you know traditional sponsorships like say with mma they before uh, the ufc did the deal with reebok um mma fighters used to be able to have you know advertising on their shorts or their gloves and there was no real regulation around it it's like same with like, you know, think about the, the boiler suits that the NASCAR drivers wear, you know, covered in logos. 
it's just kind of sports and advertising kind of go hand in hand you know you have the Heineken Rugby World Cup all that sort of stuff I mean actually like a lot weirdly a lot of these um, uh, attempts to like use temporary tattooing or even in some cases permanent tattooing to advertise sponsors actually came as a um, a bit of an attempt to like circumvent rules on advertising so, and it wasn't just like tattooing, but it was also things like contact lenses and also like hairstyles. In lots of sports, particularly like amateur and Olympic sports, there were all these rules about, you know, not having advertising or not having particularly prominent advertising or not advertising sponsors that weren't, you know, hadn't paid particular kind of bounties to the Olympics committee and stuff. And so initially this idea of like putting toes or temporary tattoos on the body was a bit of a like workaround. Like it was kind of the... You know, there's no rule that says a dog can't play basketball kind of thing. Like, there was no rule against tattooing yourself yeah, with the sponsor logos. we're going for the airbud defense. The airbud defense, exactly. Um, and so what we've got now, actually, and I, I went and looked at this in preparation for today, like, actually explicit rules now in, like, um, for example, world athletics. Um, so the, the rules that cover the Olympics um, and, like, other kind of athletics meets around the world. World athletics sanctioned events specifically say in rule seven, um, rule 7.4. Uh, so sorry, rule seven, um, nail body art, hair designs and jewelry athlete sponsor names, logos cannot feature in tattoos, whether permanent or temporary and includes the use of henna or similar hair designs, contact lenses or nail art. For the avoidance of doubt, athletes may have tattoos and they may have hair designs and contact lenses. Athletes can wear jewellery, including body piercings and watches, subject to clause 6.5 of these regulations, which I guess says what kind of jewellery you're allowed to wear, including the design, uh, the name or logo of the jewellery brand. So you're allowed to wear jewellery, but you're not allowed to wear tattoos. Um, You're not allowed to have your sponsor name shaved into your haircut like a Nike swoosh or whatever, uh, contact lenses or nail art. So that's like an explicit rule. And it even says, you know, you're allowed to have tattoos mm-hmm. um, and colored hair and contact lenses, but like you cannot use them to be, <laughs> so, yeah, to be like, advertising. Yeah, and it kind of makes sense because the way that advertising works in the world of sport is that, and in general, in most live events, there is a pre-negotiated advertising package that is negotiate between the hosting party i.e. either the sports federation or whoever's putting on the event and tv companies because you know the broadcast companies are going to be selling ads on whatever is being shown but also they will you know work back and forth with say the host that like say with rugby and the advertising with heineken you're gonna have to pay a lot to get you know a guinness ad on a heineken sponsored uh, rugby match so it's like they probably have already pre-negotiated these deals and you know sports brings in a lot of money yeah and like you know it's all this kind of vying for control so the uh, rules for the uh, IFSC the International Federation of Sport Climbing so they actually do allow these temporary tattoos um, but within the rules that govern like logos and sponsorships on equipment and clothing. So they have like mm. size limits or for, for sponsor logos on hats and on, uh, on jackets, on short bags and shoes. So you, like they basically say you're allowed to have a tattoo as long as, uh, as long as it's of a, uh, of a total size limit of 18 square centimeters. That's still um, pretty big. That's pretty big, right? Yeah. So if you're looking for, you know, looking to make money from your tattoo sponsorship, climbing is the way to go. Mm-hmm. Um, but it was interesting to me because, you know, I, I haven't looked at these rules in a long time. Um, and, you know, last time I remember looking at it was like 10 years ago. And then we'll so we'll skip back 10 years ago and then we'll skip, skip back even further. Mm-hmm. Like 10 years ago, uh, New York Times um, basically reported on a woman called Lor- Lauren Fleshman, which is a kind of funny name for this. Fleshman, um, I think it is. No, no, it's, pronou- it's spelt Fleshman, F-L-E-S-H. Okay. Yeah. Lauren Fleshman, who was going to run the New York City Marathon in uh, November 2011, um, wearing temporary tattoos that advertise an energy bar company she founded with her husband's, her husband, sorry. Um, and then she had to rub them off 
uh, before she started the, the game. And then she said, it's crazy you don't own your skin, she said after the race. Um, and then, quote, to New York Times, a new international rule goes into effect on Sunday. Um, however, we'll give professional track and field athletes greater opportunity to display logos on their uniforms. Um, and so the actual headline of this exhibition, of this exhibition, of this article is, as sponsorships dwindle track, officials loosen the rules for athletes. So like 10 years ago, there was this um, like basically sense that particularly for sports that weren't getting loads of sponsorship money, like marathon runners, like uh, the article mentions a, a, a pole vaulter who... Um, a branded like, pole. Well, yeah, he got he got a branded um, uh, like... Uh, yeah, he he auctioned himself off on eBay. Um, this poll voter called Adam Nelson um, for a short one month deal. Like there was a sense that these sports, and maybe this is true of climbing, right? That like where there's not much money, this is a way for for, for athletes to like to make some money. Um, so yeah, I don't know. Like it does bring into all these questions about, and we talked a bit about it when we talked about copyright, for example, and when that's come up in our conversations on the podcast, like. Who has the right to your body? Who has the right to what you do with your body? Isn't there something kind of problematic even about this desire to control what you put on your body? And then I guess like the other question is, is there something kind of profane, you know, like kind of problematic about selling your skin in the first place from the other direction, <laughs> right? Like Mark, Mark's famous said, you know, like all, when you when you've kind of I'm paraphrasing, but it's something like when you've um you know, when you've exploited the workers, uh, all they have left to give is the skin off their backs. And there is a sense that like when it's got to the point where people are having to sell space on their bodies to like make money, maybe we should feel uncomfortable about that, right? Yeah, and it kind of it goes hand in hand, particularly obviously being more prominent in less popular sports stuff like rock climbing or you know I don't know the like weird milk car racing, whatever you'll want to think is that when you have particularly a sport uh, or an interest that is like quite small, usually what will happen is the kind of handful of equipment companies that dominate the supply of equipment will generally just have like a hold on the sponsoring of these events. But also I think the timing of that case is super interesting because it really kind of coincides with like 10 years ago, like social media and particularly social media marketing really popping off. And like now, obviously as someone who up until relatively recently dealt with a lot of like marketing people, the kind of idea of the viral moment is key because in reality, discovery for quite a lot of brands is quite low because you can either pay to put be put directly onto people's feeds. That kind of came a little bit after 2013. But like at this time, everyone was kind of, you know, social media was new and it was flashy and people didn't really fully understand it, but they understood kind of what virality was. So, you know, if you have a, you know, a funky tattoo or like some kind of outrageous, like branded thing for someone who's doing a weird sport, then that can be, you know, this viral moment. Honestly, I think if you want a masterclass, in regarding of regardless of whether you think it's extremely cringe or not you have to <laughs> you have to look at like liquid death's whole marketing stuff like you know about kind of are, are old, they, are, who are they are they like one of these like um like payday loan companies no have a guess what liquid death make oh liquid death i thought it was liquid debt yeah yeah uh, liquid debt no no no, 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 no not not what not what you need <laughs> <laughs> what's what's liquid liquid death so liquid death is canned water. Okay. And started by Mike Cesario, former drummer of a great hardcore band called Twitching Tongues, um, kind of was born out of the idea uh, around in the hardcore community and a lot of punk, there's the concept of straight edge where you don't drink, you don't smoke. There's like vegan straight edge where you don't eat animal products. Um, and the kind of problem that some people in the straight edge community had of they go to gigs and they obviously don't drink but they feel kind of like out of place surrounded by people you know drinking cans of beer or whatever so they essentially designed this canned water to look like a cool beer brand but it's just <laughs> water and like their whole thing they're much more like their water is it's water 
Um, I feel like uh, Limmy. It's just water. It's just water. Um, wow. so, yeah. So so trying to yeah. So so exactly this trying to get the viral. Yeah, get and the like, viral what, like, moment, what, right? Yeah, like they are constantly doing campaigns, and like one of them was they tattooed Stevo's face with liquid death, so they tattooed his face with water. Oh, okay, right. So use so using water instead of ink, you mean? Yeah. So like using water instead of ink, and like this kind of idea of like creating a viral moment that isn't necessarily connected to what you're selling. They're selling cans of water, um, but they're like doing stuff like that, and obviously, you know. If you're sponsoring an athlete who's doing, you know, competitive bowls or something, and you can't put a logo on their jacket, why don't you put it on their forehead? Well, yeah, so this was like, you know, this was sort of something that was rumbling on through the 2000s. Like, and I think, I mean, when I was again, I was looking up kind of um, like news, historical news articles about this, there was a, an Australian Olympian, a steeplechaser who said she'd permanently tattoo her ankle with a sponsor's logo for $30,000. That was a, a woman called Olympia, um, called Victoria Mitchell. There was a guy called Nick Simmons, who was a, a track and field guy who had a temporary tattoo on his shoulder. Um, that was back in uh, 20, yeah, 2014. Um, uh, even though he was like forced to cover it up during competition, he kind of like you know, swanned around with it while he was, while he was warming up. But it, it's clearly like, you know, it's clearly something that, yeah, vi- like comes out of actual viral marketing. And it, I mean, that's a nice, a nice segue into like the moment where this claim to have been invented, right? The, the it, first it's funny, like this topic, because as soon as you said what it was, I thought of the really famous image of Mr. Cool Ice. <laughs> yeah. But it's of that era, right? Yeah, this yeah, is yeah. of that era. Um, so the guy that like claims to have invented this uh, is a guy um, called uh, what was his name? John uh, John Carver. Mm-hmm. And you can tell what kind of guy John Carver is when you understand that his advertising agency was called Cunning Stunts Communications. Oh. So I, clever, I'm, I'm so very, edgy. I'm very intrigued by this because I've started watching Mad Men again. I'm now on season five. <laughs> does, Mad Men go up to, does Mad Men go up to 2003? No, but I, I, I've just seen Peggy Olsen try to sell beans. <laughs> so this this um, this guy uh, uh, John Carver, who runs who runs the um, edgily 2000s-y named Cunning Stunts, um, basically claimed. Back in 2003, to have invented this, uh, he called them four hair ads, if you can imagine, right? Like four hair heads, but with the A-D-S capitalized. And the initial idea um, was to recruit university students, pay them £4.20 an hour um, to get their head stamped with a temporary tattoo brand logo. Um, they must also agree by contract to be out and about with other people for three or four hours a day. <laughs> right. Um, when I was at uni, there were people who were paid to like drive around in like cars that had Red Bull cans like on the yep, roofs. Yep. Did you ever Those see are that? still around. Are they? Yep. So this is this kind of era. Although again, clearly it didn't work out too well because the, the, the agency closed down um, some years later. And when I was looking for like what, what uh, this guy, John Carver was up to now, um, I found a, an article um, uh, about like yeah his he did, he was on Grand Designs like he had a kind of big Grand Designs house is that and I, I need to I need to find this Grand Designs episode oh uh, yeah um yeah this like seventies bungalow in in uh, in Sussex so you, you get the kind of vibe of this like you know it's this kind of absurd macho kind of like edgy advertising you know kind of idea um so of course like that then leads on to you know not just doing temporarily uh, temporarily doing um tattoos but then also doing it permanently right so there are a couple of other other companies doing these kind of temporary ones um there was also a very very famous one this um uh this company called snorestop who were like a, I think I think I think they were kind of like a alternative medicine thing. They it's, they it's probably those like strips that you put on the nasal strips that stop you from snoring. 
Yeah, maybe. And like this guy who actually went on to work in advertising and ha- have his own uh, PR agency, he sold his forehead for $37,000 on eBay for 30 days, mm-hmm. um, which led him apparently to become known uh, as Forehead Guy. <laughs> right? So, <laughs> One thing I'm going to say is, thank God Ephemeral Inc. wasn't around at this stage. Oh, Jesus. Right. So don't give him any ideas. So... So that's the temporary stuff it's sort of in the air um, in like 2003 and then like early 2005, this guy, uh, uh, Andrew Fisher, gets this snore stop thing. As best I can tell, the first like permanent forehead tattoo was on a guy, um, and I wrote about this funny enough back in my um, PhD thesis because this was happening around the same time as I was writing my PhD thesis, um, uh, on a guy called Brent Moffat. Um, and he basically posted, he was a professional body piercer. Um, he, the auction was titled Forehead Tattoo, Not Temporary. He would also was clearly a bit of a, um, a bit of an attention-seeking guy. He had a kind of Guinness World Record for the most number of piercings done in a single session, um, for example. Um, so he was clearly a guy that, like, you know, craved publicity. And he... Um, basically said, yeah, I'll tattoo my forehead with anything you'd like for a minimum of one year. By the auction's close, it had attracted 25 bids and the winner, Golden Palace Casino, paid $10,100 for the right to emblazon their website URL and heavy block letters above his eyes. Um, So he was, yeah, he was clearly kind of like the the, the first person to to do this. Um, he was criticised at the time. Shannon Lara, who we talked about with Sean, who ran um, said he was making a deal with the devil, like that particular devil, Golden Palace Casino. Like they were mm-hmm. really in the in the business of like guerrilla marketing, I guess. Like they they bought the Pope's old car. They bought a lot of nonsense, you know, for for publicity purposes, and like. I don't know, like $10,000 doesn't feel like very much, even even bearing in mind $10,000 20 years ago. Yeah, that's a, that seems quite a low ball, to be honest. What what I'm going to look at this up, uh, inflation calculator. And for, so, funnily enough, you mentioned Shannon, because I also have another story in this theme that relates to BME. <laughs> go, go ahead. So while you're looking that up, um, do you want to know, you know Mr. Cool Ice, the guy who has all the skeletons? Yeah, yeah, and, yeah, yeah. We, yeah. Do you want to know where the first that f- first picture of those tattoos were? Uh, well, on BME, I'm sure. Yeah, yeah, BME. Yeah. So, yeah. Um, the so uh, while the so ten thousand dollars in two thousand five is sixteen thousand dollars now. So this guy had his forehead tattooed for the equivalent of sixteen thousand dollars. Come on, you know. Um, oh, I also encourage you, Thomas. Mm-hmm. Uh, go on to um, go on to Google Images and Google search uh, Brent Moffat right now. Brent, Brent, and then his name is Moffat. M O W F A W T, like the Doctor Who guy. Yeah. Ah, interesting. Uh, GoldenPalaceCasinos.com. Um, and the the latest news about him, um, uh, news article about him is from 2016. Uh, toothless regina man upset over rules on publicly funded dentures. Yeah, so he didn't yep. he didn't qualify mm. on public dentures. And you can see in those photos how he's sort of covered up his his yep. forehead tattoo. Poor guy. Yeah, like very he sad. Wa- it is very sad. It's like. It, it, like, you know, he, 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 this article from 2016, it's clear that he was he was very ill, like he he couldn't eat very well because of infections in his teeth. Um but like you can see just from the photos, like kind of what his what became of his forehead, right? Um and just I mean, how would you describe what he's tried to cover it up with there? So it's kind of like a demon, like a kind of very Danzig demon with wings and a, is that a 1973 or 1873? I can't even see. Yeah. Like just. Oh, is this man a Confederate? No, he's Canadian. I think he's. Uh, yeah. I think... Um, and it, 
it's funny because this is like it's very similar to an episode we're going to be doing in the future with the man behind tats that will beat your ass um <laughs> but um yeah like it I, I feel like there is a certain level of kind of sad exploitation whenever you think about right. these sort of like advertising tattoos. And I, I've pulled up an actual interview with Mr. Cool Ice. Um, and this is like, it's a lot less. But they weren't ex- advertising tattoos, were they? The Cool Ice ones. Like that wasn't, so, that wasn't a branding thing. No. Well, you'll understand in a second. Also, it's funny, like recent pictures of him in like recent years he's absolutely shredded and like in incredible shape but he was interviewed on german tv in uh can't find the year but someone on reddit translated what he said so mr ice i made the name up myself so it's mine. Patent registered on me. Mm-hmm. So I basically started there by myself. Frank wasn't there to design the skull. Uh, the logo originated from the fact that I always wanted to have a skull, you know, on the on jackets too. Back then, uh, back then when tattoos weren't uh, somehow to be realized in the near future and stuff. And I really wanted a skull. So, but the only... So, but they only had heavy metal skulls everywhere and they're a bit too aggressive for me. That's the direction I didn't want to follow. So that's why we did it uh, at a t-shirt shop, took it from a skeleton, changed the glasses. That means remove the eyes and put in the sunglasses, added veins, brought out the teeth, really brought them out into a smile so it would fit uh, the name. Uh, He shouldn't be aggressive, maybe a bit. And the person was like, I don't really understand what he just said. Um, But also a peacemaker type. So it's kind of like, it is kind of advertising in personal advertising, but like, I'm not going to Personal brand, yeah. I mean, he's also recently, in later years, he's got more in his face and stuff. Yeah, I think, I don't know. I think there's something different at play here between like advertising your own thing and being paid to to advertise someone else's thing mm-hmm. and like like you know mr cool ice and the earth crisis guy are you know they're both on very similar if you don't know what the earth crisis guy look up earth crisis face tattoo it's incredible again a classic of the early internet hey are you enjoying the show if you really like beneath the skin and you want to help support us you can do so on Patreon. For little as five quid a month, you can help make this show possible, help us buy research materials. So if you like the show and you want to support us, consider kicking us a few quid a month and you'll get everything from bonus episodes to Q&As and you can even vote on what tattoo I'll get when we reach a certain subscriber count. Matt, have you got anything to say? You should really definitely uh, fund the Patreon because tattoo history is massive, right? Deep, wide, complicated. We're covering some big hit topics on the main feed, but on the Patreon subscriber-only feed, we'll be getting into some really more interesting niche, deep topics you don't want to miss out on. And honestly, the chance to kind of decide what Thomas gets on his body is probably just a once in a lifetime opportunity. Subscribe, chuck us a few quid. Don't miss out on the chance to ruin Thomas's body forever. Everyone knows that tattoo aftercare is one of the most important steps in getting a new tattoo. We all want our fresh new tattoos to heal as easily and hassle-free as possible so we can show them off to the world. That's why Saniderm's here to help. Driven by science and innovation, Saniderm products have been thoroughly tested and used by doctors and tattoo artists alike for over 10 years. Saniderm brings cutting-edge technology to make your tattoo healing process a breeze. No more messing around with cleaning and plastic every few hours with Saniderm's amazing range of aftercare products. I personally have used Saniderm to heal my tattoos in the past, and they made what used to be a daily process of setting reminders on my phone to clean and rewrap my tattoo into a one-step process. Their medical-grade products include aftercare balms, soaps, and my favourite, their second skin aftercare bandages. Saniderm's tattoo bandages are designed to be waterproof, breathable, and keep your new tattoo protected from whatever the elements can throw at it so you can get on with your day worry-free and confident your new tattoo will look vibrant and will heal faster. Plus, their products are all natural and ethically sourced, so you can take comfort in knowing that you're healing your tattoos with nature's finest ingredients. 
So next time you're in an artist's chair, why not try Saladerm? Healing your tattoos the modern way so you can get on with your day. Check out the link in the description of this episode for discounts on a range of Saladerm products or for more information. Um, but like, so I was, I was this this stuff, and this is sort of to get you know a bit more kind of theoretical about this stuff. But I, I was writing my PhD at this time, and I and I it, this stuff was, and certainly this next story, which we'll get onto, was a real like penny drop moment for me because when I started out writing my PhD, I was very much like, you know. Bodily autonomy, anyone should be able to get tattooed on them whatever they want, right? And like, tiring's cool. And I do believe that still, but I think what I realized in this context was like the context in which someone gets tattoos, even if it's like quote unquote freely chosen, which these examples were, it allows you to think about like, what does freely chosen mean in the context of like, you know, consumer capitalism, in the context of set. Of selling your body. You're doing Foucault biopolitics on Mr. Cool Ice. Yeah. Well, maybe not on Mr. Cool Ice, but certainly on like Brent, Brent Moffat and certainly on this next case I'm going to mention because, and it was a real, it was a real wake up call for me to think, to, to think about tattoos in the way that I do now as like contextual and to think, to not think naively about like, yeah, if you want to do it, it's fine. Right, like I wouldn't, I don't, I wouldn't necessarily want to make this kind of thing illegal, but I, I'm definitely going to think it's a bad idea, and I think I couldn't put my finger on, like, why I thought it was a bad idea. Um, you know, in my, uh, that, in that naive sort of libertarian way, right? This is, this is also why libertarianism's nonsense, right? Because like, yeah, you made a free choice, but like, what context are those free choices made in? And this is, this is the probably the more famous Golden Palace, Golden Palace Casino case, um, and this is the case of. Um, Caroline Smith from uh, Bountiful, Utah, um, which also happened in 2005, presumably inspired by Brent, actually, because it happened just a few months afterwards. Um, and like, as I said, Brent was a body piercer. He already had tattoos on his face. Um, he already had a lot of publicity. Um, this woman uh, had no tattoos before um it was her first tattoo and when interviewed about it because she also sold her forehead to goldenpalacecasino.com for again about ten thousand dollars um this was her first tattoo right and i feel like the stakes were different there i certainly did feel like that at the time and like not that not that this is a hundred percent relevant, but like you know, she was like not in any way alternative. Like she didn't have, as I said, any other tattoos or body piercings. She was like conventionally attractive, middle not even middle aged. She was like 30, 30 years old. Um, like she was, she wasn't, she wasn't the kind of person for whom this kind of thing wouldn't have consequences in her life. And um, when when asked by reporters why. She explained that her, and I'm quoting for myself here from my PhD thesis, she explained her young son's education had recently suffered following the death of his aunt and she wanted to use the money to pay for him to attend a private school. For all the sacrifices everyone makes, this is a small one, her local newspaper quoted her as saying, it's a small sacrifice to build a better future for my son. And you feel like, how much private school is $10,000 going to pay for, right? Like... This woman is like hopeful and I mean, it doesn't sound like she was desperate in the sense of trying to, she, it was that or she, her house was getting foreclosed or whatever, but like, it's clear that she wasn't a wealthy woman and that this was, this was a decision. Yeah. To like, to radically change her life. I mean, like we, we know, and we've spoken before about people with facial tattoos and, you know, I speak as someone with small tattoos on my face. It doesn't make a huge difference to my life. And even when I got them done around about when this was all happening, it wasn't a huge problem, but like, and it's certainly probably easier now to be walking around with tattoos in your face than it was in 2005. But like, this is a big deal. This would have made her life difficult, like getting jobs. Um, she apparently, the tattooist at the tattoo parlor spent seven hours trying to persuade her not to get the tattoo done. Um, so I don't know, like this really upset me, even though 
you know, she sort of radically, you know, she, 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 she did it quote unquote voluntarily. Like no one forced her at gunpoint to do it. But considering the same casino paid like the year before, paid 28 grand for a cheese sandwich that looked like the Virgin Mary, it, this really upsets me. And yeah, honey, it, it, I think, I think it's, you know, it's kind of the p- purest distillation of, you know, advertising and marketing being exploitative because it's not necessarily, you know, exploiting someone's, you know, personal insecurities and such and such. This is like directly exploiting someone's, you know, financial insecurity and like someone who is like economically quite vulnerable and like is hopeful that they can use this money to help their child, you know, get a better future and they're just slapping a logo on her forehead. Yeah, in a you know, not like they gave her the money to pay for her kids' education or or they advocated for um policies which would have made public schooling better in her area. It's like this complete kind of libertarian idea of like, well, I've got mine, fuck you. And that's true for the that's true for the casino, certainly. And then it also, in some senses, like is the probably the, the mindset that she found herself in in. And then like her so her story you know, um, ends well. I don't actually know where she is now, but like from what I can tell, so um, this is an, a blog on casino.org. Um, the money soon ran out. She she put a post on Facebook confirming she was living in the basement of her father's house. And then, of course, like because of um, gambling laws changing, this woman was uh, this casino wasn't able to continue running um, anyway. So like the whole advert was sort of pointless. In 2012, um, it was reported that they actually then did front the money for it to be removed. Um, so, like, yeah, um, their their um, press release archive for GoldenPass.com in 2012 said, yeah, um, let me quote this exactly. Um, uh, yeah, the removal process was... was f- funded by goldenpalace.com and she said um, she and her husband had a, still have a laugh over her provocative marking but acknowledges the tattoo proved to be limiting in terms of her ability to seek out new employment opportunities um, this is why she had it removed also funded by the Golden Palace Casino and then um, they also report that um, this guy called Billy, uh, Billy Gibby um, who's also an interesting guy. He's called the, he was called the Human Billboard. So he didn't just get a tattoo from Golden Palace, but he also got tattoos from loads of other brands. He was trying to fund kidney uh, the cost of a kidney transplant for someone that yeah. he wanted to assist. Right? Isn't that and fucking like, dark? Yeah, and like looking at like his tattoos, it's almost exclusively like porn companies. And right. Like, yeah. This human billboard guy, and this is also something that then became a bit of a a, a kind of joke in um in in reporting again around about 2012. Like, um, this guy, another guy who changed his name as well, um, called Host. He he changed his name to Hostgator.com, which was like a web hosting site. Mm. Um, he has like Pornhub tattoos and 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 tattoos of like PillDaddy.com. Um, this guy, Billy Gibby has like, yeah, love Evelyn.com. Oh no. Ho- Hostgator is the same guy. It's, is it it's the same Billy guy. Gibby. Is that yeah. the same guy? Oh my God. Yeah. Hostgator M.com. Wow. I didn't realize that was the same guy. Yeah, oh so yeah. Changed- Billy Gibby sold us on his neck to hostgator.com. Yeah. Jesus. Yeah. And like, I'm looking at an article now and that like he has actually gotten all of his face tattoos removed. Oh, I mean, good for him. But like, again, again, he said in, in this interview with the Daily Mail, uh, or it was posted in Daily Mail, I did it to make sure my kids wouldn't be homeless. Father of five. Yeah. And in this interview, they asked him, was like, you mentioned that you're working now. Can you tell me how that happened? And he says, when I had a bunch of tattoos, it got to the point where I was really depressed, almost suicidal because of the stress of how I felt my face looked so bad and the oh. reaction of people judging. So it got to the point where I got almost suicidal and I got kind of scared. So I went to to get help at the local behavioral center and they diagnosed me with bipolar disorder. I got my medication and went to therapy and stuff and I started to feel a lot better. Uh, I didn't have any criminal record or anything. 
Um, but uh, they offered me a job delivering medical records to different buildings they had. So I did that, and then they promoted me to a peer support specialist, and I used my experience with bipolar disorder to help other people with their ailments. So I did that for a while, and then recently I was promoted to a case manager. So it kind of, it seems in like a roundabout way that his, you know, his tattoos kind of delivered him a little bit to a place of security purely because he got them removed. Yeah, and I, you know, I'm reminded again of like maybe a story we should do as a separate episode on, but the, the story of um, the sad, in some senses, uplifting story of um, like the guy that gets called Zombie Boy, right? Yeah. Because he also had his face tattooed. Um, Famously uh, featured in a Lady Gaga video. Yeah, exactly. And he got a lot of uh, a lot of hassle on the internet at the time as well, but it, it sort of worked out pretty well for him in some senses, you know, like he made some money and had an interesting life because of it um Mm -hmm. and i think like yeah i mean again i think i think the kind of the the conceptual issue here for me is this issue about you know this kind of thing will get rolled up when you read these historical articles and stuff they get wrapped up in these bigger discussions about the stupidity of having your face tattooed in general you know Mm -hmm. or even tattooed in general with like won't you regret it when you're older kind of conversations and for me again like this particularly um the Golden Palace foreheads, like really helped me disambiguate that problem in my mind about why I was, I, I don't mind people. In fact, I'm very positive and, 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 um, you know, uh, salute, I'm salute, salute, salutary towards people who are brave enough and confident enough to, to understand the choices they're making and the life, the life path they're creating for themselves when they get their face heavily tattooed. But it, we can't just talk about that in like, well, because they wanted to do it or like they, it's a free choice, you know, because I think these kind of examples, which are also free choices in a, in a similar sense, at least, at least in an adjacent sense, I have real problems with. And I think that the, the problem I have, and maybe this is true for you, is, is, uh, is this exploitativeness, right? Like it's not these for me, these facial tattoos, and I write about this in the thesis, like these actually aren't really the problem there isn't the tattoo. Like if this woman had decided to get a massive forehead tattoo as her first tattoo, I probably would have warned her against it. But like the, the, the fact it's tattooed is not the problem. Although that's the way it got wrote about, got written about mm. at the time. And it's funny because it, it kind of comes back to the conversation we had with Sean about, you know, the history of BME and everything and that, you know, the, you can do these things, whether you should or not is a different question and a kind of bringing up zombie boys is, is interesting as well because like 10 years ago it would have been you know getting golden casino on your forehead is obviously exploitative but it's kind of now a conversation about self-exploitation in you know where social media is so dominant and a gateway to you know um a better economic life and kind of quote-unquote economic success where, you know, there are certain people who we've spoken about behind the scenes that we're not really going to give them publicity because whether it's, you know, attention seeking or it's an issue of mental health or whatever, I don't think it's necessarily beneficial to the person um, to talk about them. Um, These are people who are getting, you know, either extremely heavily tattooed or receiving very extreme body modifications and building a profile around that and, you know, getting, you know, sponsorships and engagement and making money that way. Not necessarily that we have a problem with it, but more so that the conditions behind it that are encouraging it is something that we need to question. Yeah. I mean, there was even, uh, it seems like all of these, there was like, um, uh, there was a company called Headvertising. There was a company called LeaseYourBody.com. Like they all seem to be Mm -hmm. defunct now. As I said, like the cunning stunts, company don't seem to be running anymore there was a guy in brazil um in 2014 who like rented out so you had to play pay him ongoing fees and if you didn't want to pay the fee it wasn't like a one-off thing if you wanted to stop paying the fee he'd like cross the tattoo out which is quite funny (laughs) um um, but i i I think you know this is a trend that seems to have died um Mm -hmm. thankfully but then the question comes to and this is i guess where we should yeah, it should be the last discussion because I think it's also interesting is where you get people tattooing brands on themselves voluntarily, mm-hmm. right? 
So like I am guilty of this. I have a Marmite jar tattooed on my on my ankle, and in return for it, uh, I, it wasn't like get tattooed by uh, both the Marmite jar and we'll send you free stuff. But like Marmite sent me free stuff when they found out I had a Marmite jar tattoo. <laughs> um, and I've seen actually on some of their advertising campaigns, and I think even KFC recently had an ad campaign which featured. I don't know if they were real, but certainly in the ad campaign, people had. Um, uh, you know, featured people with KFC tattoos. Uh, there was a campaign again back in 2007 by Dunlop Tires, who basically said, like, if you get a, a Dunlop logo, we'll give you um, a free set of tires. And of course, loads of people have got like Apple Mac tattoos, have got Nike symbols on them, Louis Vuitton designer brands, but and they're not getting paid. That's almost worse. I don't know. How but do you feel I about think, that? I think it's a difference in relationship. If yeah. it's like, if it's preceding a brand getting involved, then it's kind of, you know, that's genuine kind of personal affiliation. Like you pa- got the Marmite para- tattoo. Parasocial relationships with brands. Yeah. Well, yes and no. Like, you know, your Marmite tattoo isn't necessarily just because of your personal inclination towards Marmite because you're disgusting. Um <laughs> It, it, it's other feelings associated not necessarily with Marmite the brand but like your history of consuming Marmite and the memories associated with that it's the same like it's kind of the same with you know people getting tattoos inspired by bands or by music like at, in this day and age everything is a brand you know you as a person are a brand you, you know everything you consume is a brand everything you engage with is quote unquote a band anything you can consume is a brand and i i don't necessarily see a problem like i have i have a tattoo from like neon genesis evangelion that's i've mentioned loads of times i have a tattoo on my leg uh from the band ceremony um i don't necessarily see a problem with it if the person is doing it out of a you know, personal connection. You're really, stuff. You're, you're really regretting that, um, like, uh, 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 Twitter or toy Tesla tattoo you've got now, aren't you, Tom? Yeah. yeah, yeah. You're really going to, I'm going to have that. to, I'm going to have to get my Twitter tattoo removed and get it with an X. I'm Actually, if X. You just get it crossed out with an X, you know, <laughs> it'll work. Yeah. I mean, also it's like, this is something that's mentioned again in this, in this, in one of, in one of these articles from like 2007. It's like, actually now that like people are choosing to get brand tattoos on them, and the fact that actually tattoos aren't particularly edgy or cool anymore, you know, not just for sailors, la 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 la. Um, they're not actually that effective for for communicating how edgy your brand is. <laughs> so, so, so that's that's why people end up with porn. You know, the only people willing to buy buy sort of two thousand five, six, seven. The only people willing to pay you to get tattoos are, are porn companies and hosting sites. Like, no actual brand thinks it's useful even. Yeah, and I I was about to say, that's exactly why, you know, the kind of quote-unquote branding tattoos, human billboards, like, went away, because, one, it wasn't shocking anymore, but two, also, like, tattoos were becoming more visible in culture, so it's like, oh, if you saw someone with a face tattoo, like, yeah, that's kind of shocking because it's a brand, but, like, if you did it now, someone probably, like, oh, that's some kind of, like, ironic statement, like, it's not you know, a very obvious branding exercise. Yeah. And like, I don't know, it's funny. And if you look at it now, so this is an, um, the, in the last article I'll mention here, like this is from a, um, a branding website, cultbranding.com. Um, and they say like, why do raving fans or brand lovers scorch their bodies with a company's mark? And what can marketers and brand managers learn from them? Most acts of unabashed brand loyalty are a genuine mystery to mark- marketers. Why do customers camp outside IKEA or brand Harley Davidson's eagle on their arms? For over a decade of researching loyalty and implementing it through our consulting business, we've come to identify a brand's outliers, their most passionate fans, as the people with whom marketers should engage, talk, and most importantly, listen to with the greatest attention. So now it's not like it's not people getting, you know, com- uh, people, pay- brands paying companies to get tattoos, but it's like the other way around now. Like mm-hmm. these PR companies are saying to brands, you should pay the people with the tattoos of your company on you to. <laughs> To to advert to, to 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 advertise your brand, like because they already love your product, um, which is either just, board is 
spinning in his right. grave. Isn't that isn't that weird? Maybe I should get back on to maybe I should get back on to um uh back on to Marmite and see if they if they want to recon re reconsider our brand partnership. Well um well uh um will 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 the sponsors of this podcast, Tom, um uh give us any extra money if we get the brand logos tattooed on ourselves. I mean, you can do it. I'm not. <laughs> I already have to get a tattoo because of this show. So, <laughs> but yeah, I I think that's kind of a perfect place to leave it. Yeah, man. And I, I so look, I, I I I hope that was interesting because I, I I do think it's definitely clear that people are still doing it. Um, you know, uh, people are still getting brands tattoos tattooed on themselves, but now it's much more. It's much less um, uh, direct, and I think it tells us something. Yeah, something about how our relationship to capitalism has changed over the last twenty years, and how tattooing fits into our broader converse- cultural conversation. And as I said, when I think of two thousands tattooing, like it's like the most two thousands tattooing thing I can think of. But mm-hmm. mm-hmm. well, uh, with that out of the way, I want to thank you all for listening to Beneath the Skin. Um, I'm Tom as always it has been Matt um, I don't have my laptop so I I won't be able to do the Patreon shoutouts but thanks to all the patrons thank you. If, you if you enjoy this episode and you want to hear more like this early plus all of our bonus content we're currently doing a series about all of the cool art and artists that have influenced tattooing but aren't necessarily tattooists uh, on our Patreon you're gonna say something, Matt? Yeah, you're gonna to have to you're gonna to have to cut this in earlier on because I just found another article. But uh yeah, I wanna thank all of you for listening. So, you know, if you enjoyed this episode and you want to hear more like it, uh hear them early, hear bonus episodes. We're currently doing a series on the art and artists that have influenced tattooing that aren't necessarily tattooists over on our Patreon. We have like lots of cool episodes like with Sean Porter behind Sacred Debris. Um, we have some upcoming episodes that we can't really talk about just yet. But uh, yeah, check it out. For as little as five quid a month, you get to support the show and you get to get all that cool stuff. Plus, also, if you missed out on uh, our recent merch drop, we do have some excess stock that will be put on our online shop. So link will be in the description down below. It's beneathskinshop.com. But uh, thank you very much from me, Tom, and from Matt. Thank you. Bye.